All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Visual. I am your host, advertising and lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen, and this is the podcast where I interview all those people responsible for creating all those images and videos you see out in your world every single day. And today, my guest is the great David Oakley from the agency Boone and Oakley. David is a great guy, lots of fun to talk to. We talk about everything on this podcast. We talk about only fans, X-rated drive-ins, strip clubs. Um, we talk about his new book, which is important. Uh, Nobody Eats Parsley is the name of the book, so check that out from David Oakley. We also talk about a billboard ad he did that probably helped the governor, the current governor of North Carolina, get his job and kick out the old governor of North Carolina. The first billboard they did, which was a political billboard when they started Boone Oakley and how they got them national and international attention and a beach vacation that ruined a child's birthday, most likely. So stay tuned, check out this. We talk about all kinds of stuff and I know you're gonna love every second of it. So here we go. All right, man. Well, hey, first of all, thank you for doing this. I'm glad you agreed to do it. It's pretty cool. I appreciate it. Well, I was like, I'm just like kind of uh, very flattered. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I was, okay. <laughs> I love that you do this. This is a really cool thing, man. So does this, do you like just meet a lot of people this way and learn about like, and you share it with other people or yeah, share this? tell me a little bit more about what you're doing. I mean, basically I was just coming up with a way to do something to keep me busy. You know, yeah. um, even when I wasn't shooting. So when I'm, I'm not shooting, you can only send out so many emails or promos or whatever. And then I started getting like, what am I going to do during the rest of the time? So I thought, well, I could start doing a podcast. Everybody's doing a podcast. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do it on? And Heather Elder does one called Dear Art Producer. And it's all about art producers. So I was listening to that. And I thought, well, I could do something similar to that. But it's all our producers and everything starts to sound the same after about, you know, five, six, seven episodes, you go, okay, everybody's basically got the same kind of answer. So I thought, well, I want to do something different. And I thought, well, you know, I could expand it and talk to more people. And then it gives me an excuse. Like I just talked to um, Kevin L. Johnson from Ozark. Love that show. He's you yeah. know, Sam Dermody on there. And I was like, this would be a cool way, you know, for me to just meet other people. And my cousin was in the village people. So I thought, well, I can add him you know, to the mix, so I can put in, you know, musicians, actors, creative directors, producers. So it's a good way to meet people, you know, and a lot of times you can't get in to meet anybody nowadays. So this How did you get the guy from Ozark? Dude, I just DM'd him on Instagram. No way. Yeah. I just sent him a DM. I was like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? And I was like, and by the way, we can talk about this cameo thing you're doing. Have you heard of that? Where you can get like celebrities to yeah. do so he's on that as well? Yeah, so that's why I was actually, I got an ad or something for Cameo. So I started uh, flipping through Cameo. I was like, what if there's anybody on here I'd be interested in talking to who yeah. would actually respond to me? And I saw him and I was pretty much looking for anybody that was $50 or less to get them to do a Cameo for you. <laughs> I thought maybe they'll be, you know, they'll respond. So I found him and was like, what the hell? Let's give it a try. And he responded within like a day or something. So did you go right, did you like just go right through Cameo, the Cameo site? Or? No, I've looked him up on Instagram. 
uh, up through Instagram and send them a DM on Instagram. That's really good. You know what's so lame? It's like I didn't even know how to like do um, direct messages on Instagram. I like apparently you like you sent one this summer, and I never saw it until like this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I figured, that, and it's also one of those things where they're harder to see because you get them if you get them from somebody who you're not following, yeah, or you're not really paying attention. Those are harder to see because they show up and there's a little thing that said request up at the top and there's so oh, you see a little thing that says requested or something. You have no clue that unless you're really looking that you even got it. But all mine are from chicks who want you to go on their porn site or whatever the hell they're oh, exactly. Yeah. Or they're just what is it? Only fans or fans only or I don't know, something like that. So yeah, that's pretty much all I get on those. So I just well, tell me more about these porn sites. <laughs> I think it's called OnlyFans or Fans Only. You can look, you can Google that and figure it out. <laughs> Wait, I'm writing it down. Yeah, make sure you get it down properly. Okay. Yeah, but it's a subscription thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so evidently you go in, you pay them so much, and they show you more than they're showing you on on um, Instagram or whatever. Yeah, I did hear something that you can get prostitutes, like high-end call girls, off of there as well, because they were complaining there was some show like Entertainment, not Entertainment Tonight, whatever the one my wife watches that comes on before that. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, there's some of these entertainment shows, and they were doing some story on it, and basically that these chicks were complaining about something about OnlyFans and people. Oh, that's what it was. Evidently OnlyFans or fan, whatever it's called. They, it used to be mostly for getting prostitutes or escorts or whatever you want to call them. And then all these other people started getting on there. And so they started getting pissed. So it was like, Hey, now you're taking money away from us. So yeah, it's something like that. No, I'm writing this down. So I yeah, be in, be sure and check out uh, YouPorn too. <laughs> I'll look that up as well. That one I heard. I never even heard of that until I had an assistant. And we were at lunch one day, and he's like, "Hey, Mark, come here. I want to show you this new camera equipment that just somebody that Nikon just came out with or whatever." I was like, "Okay." And then he turns his laptop around, and it's, I was like, "What the hell?" And some chick popping a can out, and I went, "Oh my god!" Wow. And I was like, what the hell is this? He's like, it's you porn. It's free porn, man. And you can look up anything. And he just, just starts typing in random stuff. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah. That is great. That's so good. <laughs> so check it out. All right, man. David, tell me how you got started. I want to know how you – what wait, made wait, you – Before you do that, tell me more about – I mean, I went on and looked at a couple of things on, on yeah. your – podcast is really cool man that you, you that you're doing this and that, uh, now i'm starting to interview you yeah <laughs> i just think this is brilliant I no mean, it's all right so do you get i mean where do you usually post it is it posted like um, I mean, on can, iTunes or, or yeah i put it it's on itunes spotify iheart through my website uh maybe like stitcher or something i'm not sure it might okay. not be on stitcher but i know it's on i it's on spotify itunes iheart and you, on my website i have a whole okay. section on my website for the podcast yeah and it's fun i mean it's literally I, and i try not to make it too like i'll start off like i'll just like i said with you like 
you know, I want to know how you got into this, how you got started. But then I try, I have some questions. Yeah. But I try and let it kind of go wherever. Like I didn't expect talking to you, we were going to end up talking about porn sites. So, you know, and I ended up talking to another guy, um, Philip McCandless out of LA. I've known him for a little bit. We met one time, but we ended up talking about motorcycle racing. We talked about Marilyn Monroe and then it just went off into all kinds of stuff. Cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. Anything else? <laughs> no, that's it. Okay. So are we starting now? Or we've already started. Uh, we kind of started maybe. Okay. All yeah. right. Good. I don't okay. know. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, we can do whatever. But yeah, I do want to know how you got into this. I want to know if this was like a thing as a kid. You were like, You mean hey. how I got into this interview or in this podcast? No, how you got <laughs> <laughs> How you got into owning Boone Oakley? How you became, how you got into advertising? What the hell made you want to be in advertising? Oh, man, that's like a really tough question. Uh, I, I always go back to the fact that, that, um, I grew up, it's like my, my parents are artists. So my, both of my parents were um, potters. And so I, they were very creative artists. And I knew that I wanted to do something in a creative field. But um, I didn't really know that I wanted to do advertising or be a writer until I was in college. And uh, like a girlfriend that I had at the time was um, like sitting, you know, doing her homework. And she was drawing these little like, these little stick figure ads and like, she was like, and it was for the Pillsbury Doughboy. And she was like writing headlines. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, uh, I'm doing my um, journalism 170 homework. I'm like, what's that? She goes, um, advertising writing. I'm like, wait, there's a college, you get college credit for drawing those stupid little things, little cartoons. And she goes, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so easy. I need to take that class. She's like, it's not easy. I'm telling you, it's really hard. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so the next day I went and talked to the professor about it. I said, can I get in your class? And he's like, uh, no, you're a senior. You can't, you're graduating. You know, you're like, and you know, it's finally something that I thought was interesting. So I ended up staying in Chapel Hill for another year and I waited tables and I like took three of his classes, like, you know, you know, during the day I was just working and then just taking one class or two classes a semester after graduating. And I just, it was an introduction to advertising class. And I just, man, it was, it was like kind of a way to be creative without like having like clay all over you all the time. To me, it was really, it, that's how I got into it. Damn. Okay. So was it really journalism 170 or did you just make up that number? No, that's what it was. I mean, man, I'll never forget it. I mean, I, 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 that was it. It was 170 with John Sweeney at Chapel Hill. Yeah. So how's Chapel Hill? My youngest daughter really wants to go there. It's like her on her, it's her top Clemson, really? uh, Chapel Hill and Clemson. My wife went there for her master's, but then, so she kind of got into it there, but a second grade teacher went to Carolina and she's like, nah, I want to go to Carolina. So it's been Carolina since she was in second grade and Clemson oh. kind of came into the mix like a year or two ago. Cause she went to a football game there. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. The Where football. did you go to school? I went to app, app state. Okay. Okay. I love app. I do. Boom. It's fantastic. Um, the town, but it's cold. Um, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, about Carolina, man, it's the best college in the world. It's like the public Ivy. And yeah. I, I always like sing its praises because I had such a great four years there, five years, actually five and a half years, actually. <laughs> um, but, um, both of our kids, Claire and my kids, Sydney and Lucas 
both went to Chapel Hill as well. And as a parent, when your kid gets into Chapel Hill, or to me, first of all, an in-state school, yeah. it's like winning the freaking lottery because you know, you're, you're not paying out-of-state tuition, you're not paying tuition for a private school, and you're getting like a fantastic education. And uh, plus it gave us you know, a chance to go up to Chapel Hill and visit for like another seven years. Right. Hell. All right. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, you're got, yeah Carolina's great. Um, Clemson's great too. I, we love Claire. My wife is a huge Clemson football fan. Yeah. Because we went down on a Bojangles shoot once and we went uh, a couple of years ago and, and went to a game and the, the whole pageantry of Clemson football is like unrivaled. Yeah. I, mean, I think that was the thing that did it with her. They are friend of hers. Her parents are hardcore Clemson everything's Clemson. They paint the Paul in their front yard during football season kind of a thing. And yeah. they took her to a game and spent the weekend down there. And she came back going, this is great. That was amazing. So yeah, yeah. Gone to number Clemson's probably one and a half. So it's Carolina and just barely below that is Clemson right now. Well, she can't go wrong with either one of those. Yeah, I think so. So when you, after you took all these classes, at Carolina, did you just pack up and move to New York? What happened after that? I mean, so you're waiting tables, then how do you end up in actually getting a job? Yeah, I was waiting tables and shucking oysters. I was working at the Crazy Crab, oh, um, actually in Raleigh at the time. But I was sending, I put together a portfolio, an advertising portfolio, which at the time, like I was saying, is kind of like little, just little drawings. I mean, it was before portfolio um, schools where everything was done on the computer. So they were just ideas, little sketches that you would send out that, you know, um, my book was pretty, pretty funny, pretty weird. But anyway, I ended up getting a job offer from Young and Rubicam in New York. So I moved to New York. It was just like that. I really didn't have any big desire to move to New York City, but I figured I would go there for two years and, uh, you know, check it out, kind of like a master's degree. Right. And, and then move back to like Raleigh or Richmond or, somewhere and 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 work there so how long did you end up staying up there i ended up staying in new york for almost eight years <laughs> i know it was crazy and i worked at several agencies um met claire my wife there so it was all like you know planned man kind of it's just this, this great plan was she working I, at any of the places or did you just run into her someplace or no know. actually it was an inner office romance she was um yeah. she was an account person at YR at young river camp okay very yeah. cool. That's kind of how it's similar to how I met my wife. My dad owned a company and it was like, you did everything for weddings. It was a one-stop shop for weddings. So I was shooting weddings for him on the weekends. Yeah. He came home one day and it's like, Hey, you got to meet this girl I just hired. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll get to yeah. it at some point. And I stopped in one day to pick up some film and he was like, you need to go meet Tammy. She's in the back. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll go meet her. And I walked in the door and she sitting. she was actually sitting in my dad's chair behind his desk doing something and i looked at her and just went hi <laughs> <laughs> felt like an idiot but yeah so it was kind of an inner office although we didn't work together every day we worked for the same company that is really cool well we didn't work together it was kind of the same thing she was like on a different floor but we met on on a uh, oddly enough it was a certs breath mint account so really? it was a, certs encounter and uh, <laughs> we, we ended up we were like really good friends we became friends and it just developed into more and like 
three years later, we're married and you know, live, it was just great. It was good. And oh, yesterday we celebrated our um, 30th wedding anniversary. Oh shit. Well, congratulations. I know, I know. 30 is great, man. We're at 22. We're coming up on, we'll be 23 next summer. So we just did 22. So yeah, so 30 is great, man. Yeah. It goes really fast. It really yeah. Does. Yeah. Especially when they're, you look at the kids and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's true. It is so true. So would you? So when did you decide to come back down south? What made you decide to uh, change your mind on that? Well, you know, like living in New York, it's like you either. You, it, I, I really like everyone. A lot of people say they have a love hate relationship with New York, and I really did. There would be days where I totally loved it; it was the best place ever. And there are other days where I was like, "My God, there's no space here. I can't stand it." You know, like the subway smells like people like peed everywhere in the summer. It's like you know, you're breathing in. I did, I, you know, it's just like I had to get out. And when yeah. we had Sydney, you know, we had our first kid and it was like, you know what? I don't want to like raise a family in the 700 square foot apartment. Were you living like, in Manhattan? Yeah. Yeah. We were in Manhattan. We were off of Union Square in the down, downtown. And, you know, I, I interviewed a couple of places and ended up getting a job offer to come to Price McNabb in Charlotte, which was, um, uh, you know, I guess this is the mid nineties, 90s. 94 maybe 90, something like that yeah All so right. we, we you know loaded up and came to charlotte claire didn't even know where charlotte was you really know? yeah she had no idea about it and we got here and it was like oh my god charlotte was a lot different you know 25 years ago that was still where you had to explain where it was you would say you're from charlotte maybe people would turn their head and you go north carolina and you go oh okay yeah I know, to- yeah charleston it's like on the coast right yeah, right. Or yeah. Charlottesville. Or you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was at a I think it was my senior year. We went on some school trip or some kind of trip up to um New York and it was like a camp kind of thing. So it was upstate New York. And I met these girls, I don't even remember where they were from. And they asked me where I was from. I was like, Charlotte. And they're looking where I said, Well, North Carolina. She goes, oh, okay. And do you guys have like cows and stuff there? And outhouses. And I was like, yeah, we have, yeah, we all have an outhouse. And I said, I have a pet cow named Bessie. And she went, like, no, my God, we don't have an outhouse. But yeah, I mean, nobody knew where it was and just thought it was like in the middle of nowhere, I guess. It's true, man. It's like they didn't know. I mean, it's like New Yorkers, though, are like geographically ignorant, man. They only know about like that one area of the country, really. I mean, I'm sure it's changed a lot since um, the, the um, internet age has changed it. So people are a little closer to, and, and people know what Charlotte is right now. And I attribute a lot of that to, I think the sports teams, like people yeah. know it's really grown as a city. I mean, it really is. A, this is a, we moved here to great times. I feel like I grew up here in Charlotte. I feel our kids grew up here. I mean, I didn't grow up in Charlotte literally, right. but like from like, you know, my you know early thirties until now, you know, it's been, um, where did you grow up? I grew up in a, in a small town north of Raleigh uh, called Creedmoor. I was okay. actually on the north side, the south side of Creedmoor, which oddly enough, it's named Northside. Um, because <laughs> it's kind of the north side of Durham. I don't know. But okay. it's just, anyway, it really was, a, you know, I grew up on like a, um, uh, our road wasn't even paved. It was a dirt road that I grew up on. So, yeah, it was kind of very rural background and, you know, somehow ended up here so your family anybody in your family gone to, been to college before 
Yeah, my, uh, both my parents went, went to Chapel Hill. I know you asked me about Chapel Hill. I'm like no, Bar Hill blue all the way through and through. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, so they went to Carolina. My sister went to Carolina. And they, they run a, um, you know, they, they opened this place called Cedar Creek Pottery in like 1968. And they bought this land and, you know, they bought like seven acres of land for $1,000 an acre in like, it's like nine miles from Durham, north of Durham. Oh, and, wow. you know, it's two tobacco fields, basically. And they started making pottery out there. And now, like 50 years later, it's still going. My sister's a glass blower who makes the most amazing stuff. And, you know, she's running the business now. And it's, you know, still going, going strong. You should oh, check right. it out. And what's it called? Cedar Creek Gallery. Um, right. It's, uh, it's, it's really an amazing place. It's, it's, it's kind of an iconic place. If, if you go to visit Raleigh or Durham and you have friends coming in for the weekend and you get bored, you like go out to Cedar Creek. It's a drive and the gardens out there, the way it's come together, it's beautiful. Just check it out online. You should yeah. go there forever up there. Yeah, I'll check it out. I have relatives who live up there. I was, I was born in Raleigh, lived in Cary for a little while and then moved to Charlotte after that. Oh yeah, so you know that area. If you just yeah. go out three more Road, it's out there. Okay. Yeah, not that far. It's, only, it's just like 15 minutes from Crabtree Valley. Oh, yeah. That's not far at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good little area. Damn. I bet that land's worth some cash. Probably. Yeah. All right. So when you came back and were at Price McNabb, how long were you there before you decided, all right, I want to do my own thing? Um. It wasn't like it, like I, I, I kind of knew in the back of my mind at some point I wanted to be, to do a small, do, a, do an agency. I did, like Young and Rubicam was like 1,400 people just in the New York office. And then TBWA after that was, you know, about 200. And Price McNabb at the time was probably 60. So I kept like moving down and like, and I, I, the smaller they got, the more I liked it. Oh, yeah. But after Price McNabb, um, I ended up, John Boone and I ended up, John Boone was at Price McNabb as well. And he, you know, so the two of us got Did an opportunity. Did you meet Carolina? No, he, he went to, well, he went to East Carolina. Oh, okay. Be, no, wait, he started it. He started at Carolina. Then he went to East Carolina for an art degree. Because okay. he's, yeah, he was, he's, so he went for an art degree. But we met at Price McNabb and then we both got offers to go to the Martin Agency in um, Richmond. And, you know, I, we had had our second kid and I just didn't want to move. Lucas had been born and it was, just, no, Lucas was almost born. I don't know, whatever. It was just, it wasn't a good time to move. I was like, I don't want to move to Richmond. I like Charlotte. And we threw it out to the guys in Richmond and say, Hey, what about opening a Martin agency office in Charlotte? You know, kind of joking, you know, like for the two of us. And they said, okay, we'll do that. And I'm like, what? So basically Boone and I, got to open a satellite office for the Martin agency here in Charlotte and ran it. We, we did that for like three and a half, four, about four years and working on a lot of great things out of Richmond. It was, that was really fun. We didn't even know how good we had it because, you know, we could like take off in the afternoon, go play golf, do whatever we wanted to. And no, we didn't have any bosses there. Right. And they didn't know what we were doing. So, um, but as long as we got the work done on time, it was great. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was really cool. And then for some reason we decided that like, we didn't need Martin. We could do it on our own. Okay. And then, then that's when we started Boone Oakley in, in 2000, which oddly enough, uh, is 20 years ago 
next week. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard of you guys, of course, that billboard, that Bush Gore billboard that you came out with. That thing was genius. Oh, yeah. it was, we were lucky. It just, it kind of all happened right. And it, it, it kind of came together really in a good way. I mean, yeah. It, well, it made an impression on me because I literally, I remember driving down 485 going somewhere and looked up and I was like, what the hell is that? And then I was like, that's got to be for something. And then I remember coming back a little bit later and seeing, you know, what it was, it looking for a copywriter or something like that was. The, yeah, uh, it was like. It was proofreader, like, yeah, that's right. Wait, you actually saw it? That's pretty I saw cool. it, yeah. Yeah, I saw both, you know, I saw the, the first one and then when I saw it, you were looking for a proofreader or whatever it said after that. Yeah, it was for, um, the, the client was 123hire.com and that was a um, kind of an online jobs listing site that competed with. Um, oh yeah, I remember that. Monster or, you know, at the time it was more like North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and that was our first client. So they got a ton of press off that, man. It got written about like everywhere. And we, you know, honestly, we thought it was a good idea, but we had no idea that it would blow up like it did. Yeah, I, I mean, there were articles written about it, like, all over the world. It was like, I mean, I'd pull it up, and it would be like an article in Chinese written about it, like how Americans didn't know the difference between the political candidates. <laughs> and it, was, it was so fun. It was such a fun weekend when we did it. We put it up, and, like, uh, you just didn't know, like, we had to act really dumb. Like we'd made a big mistake. We kept oh, yeah. getting, we kept getting calls from like, so we, we, I mean, I talked to CNN, Fox news, the AP, the Atlanta journal constitution, all this stuff that one, we put it up at one o'clock on Friday afternoon by six o'clock that night. It was the lead story on CNN.com. And it said really? ad agency, ad agency bungles campaign billboard. And it had, it was like, Holy shit, I cannot believe this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was kind of weird, but no one like really like investigated enough to realize that we were pulling some kind of stunt. We just kept saying, you know, we, we just started our new business, Boone Oakley, B O O N E O A K L E Y. We just started, we just started it and we made a, it was just a little mix up. We'll get it corrected on Monday. Which to me, I don't know, when I saw it, my first thought was, Okay, my first thought was, oops, somebody screwed up. Yeah. Then within about 15 seconds, my next thought was, that was done on purpose. Yeah. For something, and we'll figure it out in another week or two or whatever it's going to be yeah. before they flip it out. But, yeah, so – but that's incredible, man. I know you guys got worldwide publicity on this whole thing. Well, it was, it was a good way to start the agency, and it kind of um, – uh, I don't know how to say this, but it, it kind of like that being fearless like that was in our DNA from that yeah. point on. It's like, you know what, if we can do that, we shouldn't be afraid to do anything that's like a little bit edgy. And, and that's kind of how we built the reputation for the agency. Because I believe that like advertising in general is really, really boring. And I really don't like advertising. You don't like it either, even though you shoot for it. I mean, this yeah. is shit that like interrupts your like drive to the mountains. You see these lame billboards for like, you know, lawyers or whatever, whatever they're for. And they're yeah. just like, they're like beige wallpaper. You don't even notice them, but they're there to me. It's like, if you're going to do this business, you got to do stuff that gets noticed and talked about. And that's, that's what makes it fun. So yeah, those are the most fun it, things, even for me to shoot the ones that aren't this, just the same old thing as everybody else is doing. Those are the ones that are most fun. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not saying that we get to do that on every single thing, oh, yeah. but that's what really makes me happy. And that's why I do what I do. I think. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, it's probably CNN calling. Probably. They probably heard you were, you were yeah, on the podcast. Oh, wait, he's the guy who did that billboard 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that was 20 years ago. How did that happen? That's what, like, it's like Sarah and I were like, how did it, how was it 30 years ago we got married? What? Yeah. Life is short, man. It goes really fast. Um, I, I had a, what was I was talking to some uh, hypnotist. She was, does like hypnotherapy or something one time. And she was saying that basically a lot of people, they go through their whole lives almost in a, a semi-hypnotic state. And that's why you think that time has gone so fast a lot of times because you're just so into your routine or whatever. You're like semi-hypnotized and doing it and you don't even realize that the time is flying or the time is going at normal speed and you go, Oh God, time just flew by. Wow. And something about when you, as you get older, it seems to, I guess because you develop more of a routine as you get older, I, I'm assuming then it, uh, time seems to go by even faster than when you were little, something to that effect. I think that's probably true. Or also the fact that like when you're, maybe you've hypnotized me right now. I, yeah, I have. Completely. Under a trance. Okay. Yeah, you are. I was, I'm trying to look away, but I can't. I'm like staring into yeah. your eyes. <laughs> yeah, no choice. You know what's so weird about this Zoom type thing? Is that like I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, but we're really not making eye contact because we're really just looking at a computer. Yeah. But I really, thing. I mean, I'm like looking right at you right now. Right. It's just, yeah. It's strange. The whole thing's strange. Yeah. But, um, but I think the whole thing about getting older is that you just have more years that have passed by and you're like, wow, those years, the more they just, you accumulate years and you're like, man, how did I suddenly become like 55, 56, 50? I mean, how did that happen? Yeah. Sorry. I'm just kind of, at that no, point. you're, I think it like kind of compresses. It's almost like, so as you're younger, you have less years so that it can take up more space. And right. Then after, That's oh, it. It just starts start to compress. You're like, all of a sudden, it seems like everything went by like that. Where when you were younger, it seemed it was a lot longer because you didn't have as many years behind you. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. I don't know. I just pulled that straight out of my ass. So feels <laughs> no, good. Oh, I have a clue. How did you guys come up with the name? I mean, I know you came up with the name. How did you decide who was first and who was second? Was that alphabetical? Um, no, no. Yeah, it's really <laughs> funny because like it really is um, a story about like people. Um, we started the agency and we want, we, we couldn't decide whose name to come first. Honestly, it was either going to be Boone Oakley or Oakley Boone. And uh, Boone Oakley has a really better sound to it than Oakley Boone. And we are kind of like, okay, B.O. is like bad as body odor. O.B. is like a tampon. I mean, so it was like, we, neither one of them were that great. Yeah. But um, we wanted to design it so that, you know, if you flipped it one way or the other, you know, if you see like, like Boone right now is right side up, Oakley's upside down. Right. But if you flip it, Oakley's right side up and Boone's upside down. So we wanted to, to it, that we could go either way. So when we first opened the agency, we were Boone, Oakley, Oakley, Boone. You could be either one you wanted to. In, in our business cards, you know, you can flip them either right. side. But we decided after, you know, a, a few weeks to do an online poll to, you know, so we put like this, you know, this is, you know, 20 years ago, this, this thing online and where people could vote on what, what the name should be, Boone Oakley or Oakley Boone. And it was going along. It was really close. It was like, I think it was like 
five votes for Boone Oakley and four vote, votes for Oakley Boone. No, it was more than five to four. It was probably like 100 and some votes or 200 votes or something like that. It was like low votes. And then overnight, it like went from like, Boone was leading like 250 to 230. And overnight, he suddenly had like 3,500 votes. <laughs> and I had like, you know, 280 votes. And suddenly, like, you got all these votes from somewhere. And, like, so he's like, I, you know, I won. And then he never told me. So we decided, okay, it's Boone Oakley. And I didn't think that much about it. And then he told me a couple of years later that his brother worked for, I think it's SAS in Raleigh, and he was really into computer stuff. So he figured out how to, how to hack into it and vote, like, 3,000 times. So he <laughs> voted and like, you know, so that's how it became Boone Oakley. And, okay. Um, I always laugh about it because um, John got his name first. Okay, so it's Boone first. But I got my name upside down, which actually turned out to be better because everyone, no one ever asked him, like, why is your name right side up? Yeah, People true. always ask me, why is your name upside down? And I always t say um, it's because I look at things from a different perspective and I see things differently. That's than a good answer. Did. You know, I, I made up some bullshit answer. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, it works. <laughs> yeah, so that's how it I can see that was selling too. So, like, oh, because I look at things from a different perspective, and people go, "Oh, I want that agency." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, really, it was just so you could flip the card this way or that way. Yeah, exactly. That's really the bottom line. So, yeah. So how we, long we do? I will say this: we always have people coming by the office, and they see it on the building, and they'll come by like and and literally knock on the door and say, "You know, your your name's upside down on the building." Still. Really? Yeah. It happens a lot during Panther games. Like oh, I hear a lot of people tailgating around. They'll come, hey, man, you're, what, you notice your sign's upside down. Do you know that? You need to fix it. You know, like, but people notice it. And that's what we're about, like getting noticed and talked about. Do you guys sell parking spaces for the Panthers games? We used to. Yeah. Back when they, <laughs> <laughs> back when fans came to the game. No, that one, you could actually come. Yeah. Hey, I saw on the your site for your new book, um, what the hell is it called? Something about parsley, nobody eats parsley. Oh, you mean this? Oh, how'd you happen to have one of those right there? <laughs> <laughs> how convenient. Yes, it is. Now what you need yeah. to do is do like Henry Winkler did on Good Morning America yesterday and do like this the entire time. So the rest of the time you're talking, you hold the book in your hand and don't put it down ever. So you well, maybe I'll do that, or maybe I'll do this. Oh, I'll go back to the first book. The other one too. Then that's yeah. the, now you got to hold it up with both hands. You got to hold one in each. Oh man, that's a much better view for you now. See, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know about in this one. Which one? This one or the that other one? The nobody eats parsley one. The X-rated drive-in thing. I just saw it on your website said something about you were at x-ray drive-in and saw your parents there. Look, Oh, parental advisory too. No, there's parental advisory. So I don't know if I can say all this on your podcast. You can say, well, you said shit before. So I guess we can cuss. You can say whatever you want on this podcast. No. Um, well, let me see if I can tell the story. Um, basically, um, I was having a conversation with Mary Gross and Steve Lash who like work here. They're both writers at Boone Oakley. We're sitting outside one day and we were talking about, um, drive-in theaters and you know like I asked Mary if, had she ever been to a drive-in I'm like she's in her like late 20s maybe she's probably 30 I don't know she'll probably kill me for even saying that but in, whatever she's younger she's a lot younger than I am 
uh, I, I wondered if she'd ever been to a drive-in. And she said, sure, where we grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they have drive-ins. And I said, what kind of movies do they show? And she said, um, you know, just like maybe movies that have been out for like a year or something, and they'd be like $2 to get in, you know, whatever. So she said, I, I said, do they ever um, show porn movies? She's like, porn movies? I'm like, well, I guess they weren't really called porn movies um, where I grew up. They were called X-rated movies. Yeah. And they would show them at the drive at the drive-in. And she's like, are you kidding? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's not real, is it? And then Steve goes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I remember a place in Boone that used to show, like, at 11 o'clock, they would show X-rated movies, you know, every night. You know, and, and, and Mary's like, well, who goes to these movies? And Steve was like, well, you know, you go with, like, your, you know, your girlfriend or your wife, and then, you know, you slip into the backseat or whatever would happen, you know, like. So she's like, oh, my God, that's gross, whatever. And then she goes, who did you go with, Oakley? And I'm like, well, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I, like, we usually just go with a bunch of guys. You know, we'd be, she goes, what? She goes, yeah, I said, you know, you just, you drive around in high school and, like, you, you know, get a six-pack of beer and you just drive around. That's what you did back then in Creedmoor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I told her about this one night that we, I had my dad's van and me and three guys like went, we were driving around and we decided let's go to the Starlight Drive-In. So we went in and we saw, we sat down and, we, and you know, we drove in park and started watching. Um, it was a movie called Insatiable um, starring Marilyn Chambers. And, you know, she was the ivory snow girl. I don't know if you know, if you've ever heard of that, but yeah. Back in the late 70s, um, there was a detergent called Ivory Snow, which... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which there was a woman on it, a young girl on it, a woman, young woman holding a baby like this, just like, like it's just a, the picture of innocence. Well, that woman who was on the cover of Ivory Snow turned out to be Marilyn Chambers. So after she did this, this whole thing to be on the cover of, of Ivory Snow, she started doing like X-rated movies. And it was this giant scandal that she was the ivory snow girl. So they had to pull all the boxes off the shelves and you know, like whatever and redo their whole um, packaging. I mean, back then ivory snow was like probably like the third competitor to, to Tide. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the, the best part about the story in a second. I know it's going on forever. That's all right. But then, so we go to the, we go to the movie and like we get out, we watch a, scene or two, then we get out and go to the concession stand, then we go back and like watch another scene and get bored or we ran out of beer or something. So we just left and we, we drove home and you know, I dropped those guys off. The next day is when, when it got really weird. So I'm like up working with my dad in his pottery studio and he's like, so Dave, what'd you do last night? And I'm like, uh, I, I went out with Mark and Billy and Ken, we just drove around. Did you go to Durham? <laughs> yeah we drove through durham did you go to a movie uh no and i was starting to get really like weirded out like what does he know and he says oh really you didn't it's really strange dave i mean this van pulled into the starlight drive-in it looked just like my van and then these four guys got out it looked just like you mark ken and billy <laughs> and you walked right by our car to the to the um concession i'm like what what you <laughs> walked by our car i'm like Oh my God, it was like the most gross. I was so wigged out in disbelief. Like, wait, you were there? Like, yeah, your mom and I went. We, we like to go to see a movie every once in a while. And I'm like, oh my God, my parents were at an X-rated movie. So anyway, so basically I said, and my dad was like, well, your mom really wanted to come up and knock on your window and just say hi. 
And, <laughs> you know, and, but I wouldn't let her do it. So, so here's the deal. So my dad told me this and thought it was the, he thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I'm like, dude, you were at that X-rated movie too. And he goes, I know, son, but we're married. It's okay. I'm like, you know, what do you guys, anyway. So I said, well, um, I wanted to ask my mom about it, but I never asked my mom about it. Never talked to her about it. You know, never even mentioned it. Yeah. Never told my friends that like my parents were there, never said anything about it. But that's one of the chapters in the book because I tell that story. And then I talk about, I went and talked to my mom about it and asked her about it like 40 years later. Oh, and wow. she laughed so hard about it. I thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. So anyway, that's a long, long answer to um, what that. Well, I like that, man. That's a cool story. There used yeah. to be a. Um, you, know, you know where you can get the details of that story? Right here. Let's and see. Nobody it's a book called parsley. Nobody Eats Parsley, and it's by some. Oh wait, it's by you. It's by David Oakley. Yeah, some guy. Yeah, it's a red book with a plate with a little piece of parsley left on it. So yeah, yeah. doesn't look like anybody ate the parsley. No, it's just there because nobody eats parsley. I guess so. Oh. And other things I learned from my family, and yeah. it's not a New York Times bestseller. And by the way, if you go to your website, you can see all the reviews about it, <laughs> which are <laughs> really great. <laughs> So the, um, commercial definitely check that out. There used to be a um, X-ray theater. My dad used to own a, a restaurant over near West Park in Charlotte. So I guess North Tryon or something like that off of that road out near UNC Charlotte. And so my brother and I would just go hang out there all the time. So there was one night where he was there. I don't know if my mom was there too or she was someplace else, but it was late. My brother and I are sitting in this corner booth, just bored. There's a drive-in theater that you can see. So we'd sit there and occasionally just watch whatever was on the movie. You could see about the top half, three quarters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then one night we realized they were showing all porn. So my brother and I are sitting up there in the window. I mean, we're probably <laughs> 10 years old, eight and 10 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 10. Maybe not even that old. And we were just sitting up there just like, ooh. And then my mother comes by and loses her mind. She's like, what the I'm fuck? sure she did. <laughs> yeah, she flipped us around, tells us we're never allowed to look back there again. You know, so, of course, <laughs> enough, we turn our heads and start watching again. Uh, but going, you said that you and your friends went. It reminded me I was in um, Myrtle Beach at my brother's bachelor party. And I have a friend of mine who was living down there. At the time, he had moved from New York. His mom and dad live in Myrtle Beach, and he grew up down there. So we moved back down. He was hang hanging out with them for a little bit. So I asked him to dinner. I was like, let's go to dinner. And he's this gay dude. And we're eating dinner. I was like, man, he's been married, and he has kids. So he's kind of straight, gay, not really. I don't know what he is, but okay. occasionally likes dudes. So we're sitting there, and... I was like, dude, go to the, I haven't been to a strip club in forever at this point. And I've been married for a while. And I was like, why don't you go with me to the strip club after dinner and hang out with me? I'm going to be bored. He's like, no. He said, and I don't, let me to ask you something. I don't, this is something I've never understood. Why a bunch of guys will get together and go look at a bunch of naked women to get themselves all horny and hard. And then all go home with each other. Can you explain that to me? I, I, as soon as he said it, I went, That's so wow, you got a point there. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it didn't stop me, so I still ended up getting in the car and going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
God, that is so funny. It, 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 that's a good point. It, strip clubs are really weird when you go in them and realize that, like, if you, like, ever look at the audience, it, like, freaks you out a little bit. Oh, yeah. I equate it to – I have a theory that all women are psycho – and they're varying levels. And you can find out if you need to stay with her based by her answer. If you say, I think all women are psycho. And she goes, yeah, she is the one you need to be with. If she goes, yeah, but not me. Or she tries to slap you. She's a nut job and you need to move on. Right? <laughs> and then um, if she just goes, yeah, if she goes, no, they're not. She's just your average woman. You know? yeah. And then I, my other theory is that all men are stupid. And my theory for all men being stupid is strip clubs. Cause I say strip clubs are like going to an all you can eat buffet when you're hungry, paying to get in the door and then being told you can only look at the food. You can't actually have any of it. And so same kind of deal. Cause how many times do you know anybody who actually goes home and like takes a stripper home? I mean, it's yeah. rare. No, it never happens. Well, it never happened for me, but, um, not that I tried. Yeah, it's a rare thing, I would think. So, yeah, it's so that's that's funny. Damn, X-rated movies and strip clubs. It's a good conversation. Most <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Not what I was expecting. But very good. I like it. <laughs> Wait, when the, the other thing I was wondering about was this: you, how did you guys come up with the YouTube deal? The whole like YouTube channel, able to like move it like it's a website. Kind of, where did that come from? Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting you asked that. It really came from um, noticing, you know, I think that um, YouTube started doing this thing called annotations where you could link videos to each other. And it was a new process. I guess this was in 2009 when we did it. And we had a couple of young creatives here who were like playing around with it. And it was during the um, giant recession of 2009 2010 yeah. and we had some extra time on our hands and we wanted to redo our site and we were like well we did two different websites one was more of a traditional site to change to upgrade our site to and the other was the youtube channel and linking all the videos the thing that um the guys were able to do here was when they we were able to tell our story in a very simple way and just link it from one video to the other and putting the whole thing on YouTube was great. It was like um, pretty groundbreaking at the time. I, uh, I mean, honestly, it's been written up in textbooks. I Somebody sent me a textbook the other day that had a whole like case study on it, which was like, oh, that's really cool. But um, it was great. The only problem was at the time, a lot of big companies had like firewalls that you couldn't look at YouTube. Oh, they would yeah, block YouTube. So some of our, sometimes our site would be blocked. But it really didn't hurt us from getting other new business, you know. But yeah, it was just a fun way to tell a story and like just being honest about like saying Billy, the marketing director, you know, his wife killed him because he got fired for choosing the wrong agency. You know, <laughs> it was just kind of ballsy, I guess. I remember. I mean, that's another thing I remember from you guys is when you did it because I remember going to it and looking at it and going, "How the hell did they do this? It's the first time I'd seen anything like that." Yeah, so it was, yeah. it was really I cool. mean, the, I mean, there was like one thing on YouTube at the time that was connected through the annotations, like how the videos were connected. And we were like, oh, my God, we've got to really do this fast before somebody else realizes that you really can do this and connect it. And we were really worried when we put it out that it would be, you know, would it, would it work or not? We thought the stories were really funny and really easy to like, you know, they were just kind of quirky. And it was really kind of a very good reflection on who we are. 
but we wondered if it would actually work. And it, and, and it's one of those things where you've just got to, you know, take the risk and try it. And, you know, if you fail, who cares? You'll do something else. What's one thing that you think is like the, the greatest thing you guys have done or the most out of the box thing you guys have done? Is there anything that just like pops into your head? I mean, cause you obviously you had the billboard, you had this YouTube thing. So you've done multiple things. that got tons of publicity, tons of press. Um, what was there are things? things. I mean, I, I really love this thing that we did actually for, um, it was, it was when we were, um, I guess it was four years ago during the political campaign when, when the whole HB2 um, bill was, had been passed and, you know, I was like just incensed by it. I thought it was the most. Ridiculous. I got so much shit in New York for that. I, Cause I was up there when that yeah. happened and I got everybody I knew up there or ran into asked me about it. it. It was terrible. I mean, it was such a bad reflection on us and it was so stupid. It was all politically motivated and, you know, it was like so discriminatory. And I did, we, we did a, um, so about two weeks, three, three weeks before the election. Um, no, it was a month before the election. I'm trying to remember. I was actually up at Chapel Hill and I was on a board meeting at Chapel Hill. Okay. I'll tell you how this thing came about. Then I'll tell you what it was, but I was talking to a friend of mine, Joyce Fitzpatrick, who runs a PR firm up in Raleigh. And she said, David, we have a group of writers um, up here. They're called writers for um, progressive North Carolina. And they want to run a full page ad in the news and observer in Raleigh, um, denouncing HB two. And I said, Hey, she goes, would you help us do the ad? And I said, yeah, I, I would really, I mean, I'm, I'm totally down with the cause. I, I would love to help. And so we came back here and I, and I talked with Mary gross, who was the writer I mentioned earlier. And we we're talking about it. And she had this idea about, um, uh, she said, when is Pat McCrory's birthday? He was the governor at the time. He's the guy who was, you know, behind HB2. And we found out that his birthday was like October. It was either the 17th or 18th or something like that. It was a couple of weeks before the election. And we're like, oh my God, this is perfect. So basically what we did was we created a birthday ad for Pat McCrory and we ran it as a full page ad in the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer. And it just said, H HBD to you, Pat. And it was a birthday cake made of like, um, like the pride, the gay pride flag birthday cake. Oh yeah. HB to you, Pat. And it was so out of the box, man. It was shared all over the world. And I always feel like that, um, Roy Cooper like owes us a little bit, maybe, maybe <laughs> get over the top and win. I don't know, but, um, I'm very proud of that ad and I thought it was a great thing, but anything, you know, stuff like that is a little bit edgy, get a little bit out there. I mean, I'm like, I don't know. Let me think. Let me, that's one. Do you get held that's back a, by a lot of clients? I mean, do you come up what? with ads and go, do you get held back by a lot of clients? Like come up with ideas like, Hey, let's do this thing. Or, yeah. No, we can't do that. Um, I think, I think we, we, we push clients or like we, we attract clients that want to do work. That's a little bit edgy. And we're not for everybody. I mean, right. we're not the right agency for a lot of clients, but there are clients who, you know, are brave and want to do um, innovative stuff and want to get noticed and talked about that. Um, I think we're, we're really good with, and yeah, sure. Sometimes we don't get everything through that we try to get through. And sometimes it's probably good. Maybe it's, you know, the client knows best. <laughs> we don't want to try that. Um, yeah. All so, right. 
Well, hey, I think it's, I mean, I think it's better to be that kind of agency. It's more fun. I would it, say. It, it's fun. It is fun. It is fun. But, you, but you know, the bottom line is like, it's a business and you have to be able to, to make money out oh, of yeah. it, you know, to employ people. Yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely. the hardest thing. That's really, that's, that's the toughest thing, but somehow we've been able to do it. Knock on wood. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So what made you start writing books? Um, I think what, what we do as, a, and I feel like we've been doing it for a long time. It's like we tell stories about brands and I felt like I was always telling these stories of stuff that happened in my life. And I always find, I find myself in these humorous situations and that maybe they're only funny to me, but I, I when I tell them that they're just kind of funny stories and I like to write and I, I had like a really cool upbringing, I think. And, and, I don't know. I just think, think things that happen or, and I just started writing stuff down. Honestly, I just started writing things down because I didn't want to forget them. And I didn't want to be like 80 years old and not be able to remember these things. Yeah. So I started like journaling and like writing this stuff down. And I was like, you know what? I should make that into a short story or I should, um, you know, write that and, 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 and compile a bunch of um, different, different stories. So that's how it came about. And the first book is really advertising stories and they all have like, lessons about things that we've learned or things, how we did certain things and what we learned from it and what was fun along the way. And, and the, the second book, which is this book, by the way, for anyone, nobody eats partially. Yeah. You're like, whatever, Oakley. Um, hey, it's no, really push the, it, man. I know I've got to push it. Like I said, the Fonz, <laughs> the Fonz held it up there the whole time. So it's a, I know. Do it. All right, I'm bringing it back. Okay. So I'm talking. It's he really the, the entire time. time. The yeah. entire time, the rest of the, the, the we're, it's on the rest of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, uh, now I'm like blanking now that I don't, now that I'm looking at it, it's really about fun things that happen. I mean, stupid things. It's like, like when I met um, Malcolm Gladwell in, in LA on a, on a TV shoot. I mean, I, I was at a restaurant and he was there and I, I was like, Oh my God, it's Malcolm Gladwell. Well, the author, I've got to go talk with him. You know, I've got to just go say hi and like thank him for being a big influence. So I went up to him. I left my table, went up to him as he was leaving and, and talked with him and basically told him how much I love Purple Cow. Um, it was my favorite book that he'd ever written. I like some of your other books, but this one was by far the best. And I went into this whole thing about how great Purple Cow was. And he's just looking at me like, okay. I, and he did a selfie with me. And I was so proud of myself. And then the next morning on the way to the shoot, I realized that Malcolm Gladwell didn't write Purple Cow. It was Seth Godin. So, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, so that's one of the stories. It's just like me being an idiot. It's what but most of these are. <laughs> I like that. Oh, that's great, man. Oh, all right. So you definitely have made me want to start reading that book for sure. How long has it been between the two, the first one and this one? Uh, the first one came out in 2015, so five years, which is hard to believe. Where do you sell it? Um, right here. I'm selling it right now. Everybody go buy it now, now. Where can it's they get it? Off. Huh? Where can you get it? No, you can get it at, at start on October 22nd. It will be available at independent bookstores all across the land. Oh, wow. Also, it will be available. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon, but you could go to your local indie store and and pre-order it as well. 
and or you can get it on the 22nd like park road books or you know so not barnes and noble or whatever probably you can order you can pre-order it from barnes and noble but um, i don't think they'll stock it probably yeah but uh, mostly independent places like uh you can probably get it at paper skyscraper in charlotte okay Um, yeah yeah that's good man yeah i'm definitely interested (laughs) after just those two stories are enough between the the drive-in and that that's enough to make me want to go read it for sure it's cool And, and you know what i also did a um I did a um, audio book of it this time. Oh, I yeah? With, yeah, I worked with the guys over at um, Ground Crew Sound, you know, John Cosby and those guys over there. Yeah. Um, Dan Hood recorded it with me. And it was really intimidating to go into the studio because normally I'm on the other side, like I'm directing commercials and I'm like helping, you know, and to be there with the microphone in front of you and, and to read the stories out of the book and then like change your voice for different people and like, kind of started to act it out. It was, it was a great experience. Um, but there's also going to be an audio book that comes out with it as well, because a lot of my friends like listen to these books, like when they're driving. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, you you're on audible. Podcast. What? You can get it on audible. Yeah. You'll be able to get it on audible. Um, uh, we just uploaded it on audible, uh, Monday. So it will be available probably the first of November. How does that work? money when it comes to the money do they give you a certain percentage of everything that gets downloaded from that or do they just give you an upfront thing or how how's it work well i don't know how it works for everybody else but they just gave me a straight up um uh advance of two million dollars well that's good well, yeah i was kind of disappointed in that it was only two million but you know what what do you i mean if i were you had hung on for two five yeah least, yeah I mean, come on no i it's weird i think like on the all the audible thing, I think that you, that I'm not even sure to be honest with you. Yeah. I think you you may make like eight or ten dollars on a download for um, audible on the books because I think they sell for twenty dollars, okay. and then they have to get their the the, the audio books do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just know if there's a difference in like the way the pay works between the printed book and the audible books and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Are you self-publishing this thing, or you have a publisher? No, I'm self-publishing this one. And that, I, it's weird because I, I went through the whole traditional thing with the first one yeah. and got an agent and they got two publishers who wanted to do the book, but they wanted the book to be, uh, so they looked at how I'd written it and they're like, well, I, it's nice. Those are great stories. But what we want that will sell a lot is if you do like um, how to do breakthrough, uh, like five steps to do breakthrough creative by David Oakley or write it as a business book. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to write it like that. I don't, I don't want this to be a business book. I just want to write my, my short stories and publish them. And they're like, well, we really think you should do it this way. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it that way. So I said, I'm just going to self publish it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's what I, and then the second time um, for the second book, we had a couple of like publishers that were interested. And I was like, you know what? I want, I don't want to answer to anybody on it. I just want to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. And so that's why um, I self-published and it's a lot easier now to self-publish than it was probably eight or 10 years ago. And so many people self-publish and it's, they, it, it, everything's changed because everything's available um, online. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Makes it easier for me too. When I go to meetings because everybody, I was in New York. I had a meeting, I had my books and our director was like, why did you bring your books? Just use an iPad. I was like, all right. 
So I like yeah. that because instead of carrying, you know, 30 pounds on my shoulder, now I can just throw an iPad Pro in there and move on. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, you can do that. But what about like, there's something like so cool for a photographer when they bring out the big prints of it and you, you can look at it and they're like printed so beautifully. Like, you know, they're just, they're amazing. You know, I and, still bring, instead of having like two or three different books now, depending on who I'm going to go see, I yeah. now have one book, which I think is the best of what I have. Yeah. And then I have an iPad that I break down into, say I'm going to diff whatever the different clients are, you know, yeah. whatever more of their specialty is. I have an iPad with that broken out for them. So say it's, you know, somebody like BBDO or whatever, I'll have yeah. a BBDO done on the iPad. And then I have the book as well. So I was like, well, here, let me show you the iPad. And I let them look at that first and I go, and here's the, my book. Yeah. And then I pull out the book so then they can see the print because I know a lot of people still like it. Yeah. You know, especially if they're a little bit older, they're out of their, you know, if they're out of their thirties for sure. You know, they like to see the books as well. I know, but like you as a photographer, don't you like to just see the I print? prefer the book. I love the books. Yeah. And I don't have the same feel at all for the iPad. Yeah. And for me, it's just kind of like, okay. It's, it's there, whatever. I would, I much prefer the book just because I like seeing those big prints and seeing how it all looks. And it's just more interesting to me, but it doesn't seem to really matter to, especially if you're talking to a younger art producer or art director, yeah. they don't really seem to care as much, especially if they're in their twenties. It's interesting because like, to me, it's like I can stare at a great photograph and just like keep looking at it, keep looking at it, and keep looking. And I feel like the younger, I, don't, I mean, they, they'll look at it on the pad and then they'll flip. Let's see what the next one is. Let's, okay. Yeah. And it's like that quick. It's like there's so many like nuances in a, in a great photograph that you can just stare at, man. And it's just, it, you know, that's what separates the greats from like the okay, you know, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just gotten to a point where everybody's so used to everything going like that yeah. being so quick the, the attention spans not there and most people aren't spending enough time looking at anything so at the same time i get it with being the you know the 20 year old she's like okay well this is most likely everybody's going to see something on a screen so just show it yeah. to me on the ipad because i've had a couple of people go wow you still have a book i'm like yeah i still have a book <laughs> <laughs> and then and then in my head i, I have two reactions to that it's like yeah i still have a book do they like that? Is that a good thing? Or have they just gone, okay, he's old. And he's we're going to, yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure which it is. Well, tell me, uh, probably last real question. What's the strangest or most interesting thing that's happened to you? And if you want, you can pull a story out of your books or you can just come out with something else. I've never had anything strange or interesting happen to uh, me. That's what, that's what yeah. yeah. I figured yeah. if you wrote, wrote two books, there's probably nothing interesting. All right. right. I, I'm going to look at a table of contents for this answer. And okay. I'm going to pick it, something interesting because I'm like stumped completely by this question. That uh, happens quite a bit. Yeah. You're pretty, you're pretty good at stumping me here. Mm. Uh, uh, most strange, interesting thing, weird thing. I, I will say this. Um, okay. All right. This is really quick. I, I, when Lucas was younger, I coached little league baseball for like six or seven years and it was great. 
so great. We were like so much, we had so much fun. We were always the pirates. We, you know, we just thought, I just thought that's a great team name. That would be, um, you know, you can always have a pirate flag. You can have a mascot, you know, so one, one game we had like one playoff series, we had Claire dress up as a pirate and like surprise the kids they're like nine years old and they were freaking out that there was like a, <laughs> we had a mascot and it totally intimidated the other team and we destroyed the other team that's part oh of the story God. so like so i me and this other guy co-coached the pirates his name is greg negus and about five years after we stopped coaching you know our two families went down for a weekend at the beach and we like had a beach vacation. So their two kids, our two kids. And by this time, our kids were like, you know, 17, 16 or 17. And, but our, we were Claire and Peg and um, Greg and our great friends. So it had been raining all week. And, um, and it was just one of those beach times. It's like, damn, the weather sucked. But finally it stopped raining one afternoon. And Greg's like, let's go to the beach. So me, and the kids didn't want to go. They wanted to keep watching TV. Okay. So we go down to the beach and we get, and no one's on the beach. It literally had just stopped raining. And it was like, you know how at the beach, I was it like the sand is pockmarked by rain. It's like, you're the first one out there, but there's sun on the horizon. It's like starting to, you know, it's going to be setting in an hour, oh, wow. hour and a half, but it's just beautiful. So we go out there and on the beach, we're looking, we're like, holy shit. Is that what I think it is? Oh my God. It was like right in the middle of the beach area was a freaking pirate flag like planted in the middle of the beach. Like it was just like, and it's blowing in the wind. And we just went, ran up to it, grabbed it, picked it up and like started acting like idiots. Like we're the pirates. We're the South Park pirates. We own this beach. And we were like running around like, like idiots, you know, like, so then we run all the way down to the edge of the water, plant the flag by the edge of the water. We um, put, set up our chairs and like me, Claire and Greg get in the water. And Peg sits down, like we had a little cooler. So Peg sits down, like opens glass, has a glass of wine. Okay, so she's sitting there. And I'm in the water. And about 10 minutes later, we're just kind of swimming around. And we, I see these like people on the beach, like more people coming out. out. And I'm looking at them like, oh, it's like, so it looks like a bunch of little boys, little kids. I'm like, that's so weird. You know, so they've got sticks or something. That's strange. What are they doing? And they started sprinting across the beach toward where um peg was like sitting like and they're sprinting toward peg like what the fuck do they have those aren't sticks those are shovels what are they and they ran up right behind and peg didn't see them because like she's sitting like this like looking at us in the water and we're looking behind her and all of a sudden these kids and they're all dressed like freaking pirates they're all dressed like pirates, like eight of them. And they go right behind Peg and they start digging in the sand and throwing sand all over Peg. And she's like, boys, what the, what are you doing? You know, whatever. And um, basically they go, we're digging for treasure. And she's like, what? She goes, what are you talking about? And they're like, there's oh a buried God. treasure at the flag. <laughs> So basically it was for a kid's birthday party and the parents came running out there like the dads and they were so mad at us All because right. we moved the flag. <laughs> they're like, what the hell? You know, you're, we're, we'll never find the treasure. We put it out before it rains. We have no idea where it was. Look at this beach. It's like oh. seven miles wide, you know? So it, it, it almost turned into a fight because these guys were so mad at us for moving the flag. 
anyway, that was a strange thing. Did they find the treasure? I don't know. But we <laughs> watched them like walk up and down the beach for like the next until it got dark and we left and they hadn't found it yet. Oh, I'd like to know what the treasure was too. Oh my god! I know it was really, it was really weird. Anyway, sorry. I love that. Thank you, man, for being on here. I think we've we're hitting a little over an hour at this wow. point. Wow, it didn't seem that long. I'm sure it will seem long to your um listeners. Yeah, don't nah, listen right through it. I <laughs> love every second of it. I mean, what other podcast have I done that we're talking about? You know, strippers and porn sites and. Uh, Screwing up a little kid's birthday party. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's good. Well, um, I really appreciate it and, and that you asked me to be on here with you. This is fun. I'm, that's great. Great talk. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Thank you for doing it. And anybody listening, watching, thumbs up it, like it, share it with all your friends, all that kind of stuff, and uh, keep on listening. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, yeah, man. Yeah.